1: ancient Greece, the Pythias, the high priestesses of the Temple of Apollo, who served as his oracles at Delphi, were thought to originally have been young children, ideally farmers' daughters, who were chosen for their perceived purity and innocence. It is a common theme in the history of divination found in many cultures. In ancient Rome, for example, it was often the task of children to perform the drawing of lots a process used to determine the will of the gods by the reading of small tablets usually made of wood that were thrown into water. Classicist Sarah Illis Johnston of Ohio University attributes this to the strongly held belief that children were simply able to see gods, demons and ghosts that other people could not, a skill that they would invariably lose once they grew up. Needless to say, such a notion is a popular one in the culture of the paranormal and unexplained. For a start, there is something inherently unnerving about young children being privy to things that adults are not. But also, this idea plays into the common narrative that adulthood somehow robs us of the innocence, imagination and openness of the senses that are thought required to see such things. I have explored this idea previously on the podcast with regards to the apparent UFO sightings in the Welsh town of Broadhaven in 1977 and in the book in the chapter concerning the apparent UFO sighting at a school in rural Zimbabwe in 1994. In both cases, a group of schoolchildren claimed to have seen an unusual craft land at the back of their playground. When later called on to draw pictures of what they had witnessed, many of their images contained striking similarities, despite the children having had little to no time to confer on what they had apparently seen. But by far the most unnerving of this trope are those of the sixth sense variety. In M. Night Shyamalan's iconic 1999 film of the same name, the young boy, Cole Sear, claimed be able to see dead people. Back in 1989, just outside the city of Columbus in Georgia in the United States, another young child was claiming exactly the same thing. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. Wolf, cried Heidi from the back door. The young girl scanned the yard again, now completely covered from three days of snow, but saw no sign of the dog anywhere. Mummy, she asked, turning to the 21-year-old Lisa, who was busy making lunch in the kitchen. Where did Wolf go? He's probably in his kennel, she replied. Why don't you go and take a look? Heidi was almost four years old and loved nothing more than playing about in the snow with her puppy, a recent moving-in present from her parents. This was the first time he hadn't come running to her when she called his name. After trying one more time but getting no response, she zipped up her jacket, grabbed her toboggan and headed out into the garden to find him. Lisa watched from the window with a smile as her daughter trudged out in the snow, pulling her empty sled behind her as she went. Back outside, Heidi, having now reached the kennel, peered inside to take a look, but there was no sign of her dog anywhere. Just then, she noticed Wolf's footprints in the snow heading back toward the house. Heidi followed them all the way to the edge of the porch, where they veered off to the side and disappeared underneath it. Ducking her head under to get a better look, Heidi finally spotted him. Wolf, there you are. Come on out of there. But Wolf, who was backed in as far as he could go, refused to budge, as if he were too afraid to come out. Just then, Heidi, felt a presence behind her. Back in the kitchen, Lisa was putting lunch on the table when her daughter came rushing back inside. Can I go and play with Mr Gordy? She asked. Lisa looked confused. Who is Mr Gordy? She said. The man with the shiny black shoes, said Heidi. Lisa, now suddenly concerned, asked her daughter to confirm again if a man had just approached her in the garden. Yes, Mr Gordy. He wanted to push me on the swing, said Heidi. In a panic, Lisa ran to the window but saw no sign of anybody outside. Then ordering Heidi to sit at the table, she hurriedly locked the front door and pulled down the blinds before calling her husband Andy. Andy, who was at work, a short drive away, told Lisa to stay put until he could get there. Lisa knew there was every chance she could be overreacting, but it was always better to play it safe than sorry under such circumstances. So who was this Mr Gordy? asked Lisa, nervously looking out the window as Heidi sat nonchalantly eating her lunch in front of the TV. Well, he's quite old with white hair, she said, He only wanted to push me on the swing. Do you remember what he was wearing? Asked Lisa. Heidi thought for a moment. He had a big hat and smart clothes, just like what the people wear at church. Lisa, taking the remote, turned down the TV and asked her daughter if she had ever seen this Mr Gordy before. No, said Heidi. But he said he would be back. When the 22 year old Andy finally arrived home 20 minutes later, he made a quick scout of the area, looking for any sign of an old man in smart clothes with white hair, but found nobody resembling that description. When the Wyrecks first moved to Harris County in the fall of 1988, they couldn't have been more ecstatic. This quiet district in southwest Georgia had a reputation as one of the more sought-after counties in the state. The young couple had never imagined they would ever be able to afford a house there until one day, Lisa's parents, driving just outside the town of Ellerslie, noticed a property up for auction. The three-and-a-half-bedroom ranch house had come onto the market unexpectedly after the previous owners abandoned it without any explanation. Realising they might have a steal on their hands, they convinced Lisa and Andy to take a look. Though the house would ordinarily have been out of their price range, the couple put in a bid of what they could afford and left it at that, assuming they wouldn't get it. A few weeks later, however, they were amazed to find they had won. It was a few months after they had moved in, in February 1989, that Heidi had her first encounter with Mr Gordy. After the initial fear at the thought of someone trying to abduct her daughter, Lisa soon came to realise that Mr Gordy was nothing but an imaginary friend. Over the weeks and months that followed, she would often overhear Heidi talking to someone in her room, only to find her sitting alone on the floor playing with her dolls. Whenever she asked who her daughter was talking to, each time, without fail, came the inevitable reply. Why, Mr Gordy, of course. Oftentimes, Lisa would watch her daughter having tea parties on the lawn, laughing and talking, as if someone else was out there with her. Other times, she would head off to play on the big tree swing at the back of the garden, her arm held high in the air as if she were holding someone's hand. Lisa marvelled at the inventiveness of it all, just pleased that her daughter seemed happy. And soon, she was even playing along herself, preparing lunch and snacks for Heidi to share with the enigmatic Mr Gordy. Each time Lisa would come to clean up their plates, Mr Gordy's food would remain untouched. Then one afternoon, as Lisa was tidying some clothes away, Heidi came running into her parents' bedroom in a panic. Mummy, she said, there's a man at the door, covered in blood. His hand is hurt. Lisa ran straight to the front of the house, only to find the front door completely open, but no sign of anyone outside. Shutting the door and locking it immediately, Lisa told Heidi to stay where she could see her. Was this Mr. Gordy? She asked her daughter. Heidi, seeing the fear in her mother's eyes, withdrew slightly and turning her own eyes to the floor, shook her head. His name was Conn, she said. And you really saw a man standing there Yes, said Heidi, nodding nervously. Later that night, Lisa recounted the story to Andy. Both knew full well it was nothing but Heidi's imagination. But that was the thing, thought Lisa. Whenever she spoke about it, be it the man with the blood on his shirt or Mr Gordy, she seemed so convinced they were real. Just then, a distant scream punctured the quiet of the night followed moments later by Heidi bursting into her parents' room. There's a man in my room, she cried. He's not like the other ones. Lisa grabbed her daughter as Andy bolted from the bed and ran straight to Heidi's bedroom. Switching on the lights, he looked everywhere for any sign of an intruder, but there was nothing, and the front door was still locked from the inside. As Heidi would later describe it, This new figure wasn't a man so much as just the sense of a body dressed in a hooded top. This was now the third figure she had reported seeing. But unlike the other two, this one had left her utterly terrified. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's t-e-l-a-d-o-c dot com slash unexplained podcast. Over the next few weeks, Heidi continued to report the sighting of a menacing figure in a hood moving about the house. Where Lisa and Andy had been happy to indulge her games with Mr Gordy, this latest development had left their daughter too scared to sleep in her own room. Hoping it was all just a phase, they did their best to reassure her no one was really there. But secretly, Lisa had begun to wonder if there wasn't something more to it all. Raised a strict Christian, she was no stranger to the notion of demons and ghosts. What if this wasn't just in Heidi's imagination, she thought? In desperation, Lisa turned to her older sister, Joyce Cathy, for support. And when the house next door was put up for sale later in the year, She was overjoyed when Joyce Cathy agreed to buy it. Having seen how worried her sister was becoming and keen to spend more time with her niece, Joyce Cathy was happy to do it. It was shortly after moving in that she received a visit from the house's former owner, Catherine Ledford. Catherine had wanted to welcome Joyce Cathy to the neighbourhood, but also to drop off some of the final papers from the sale. Going through them together that afternoon, Joyce Cathy was struck by a name written on one of the contracts, James S. Gordy. Realising it was the same name as Heidi's apparent imaginary friend, she asked Catherine if she knew who he was. As it turned out, Gordy was an old friend of Catherine's family who took care of all their legal matters. Feeling suddenly defensive, Joyce Cathy asked where this James Gordy lived. Is it possible her family might have seen him around? Well, thought Catherine for a moment, he used to live a few minutes' drive away, but I'm afraid he's been dead for 25 years. Later, as Catherine gathered her things to leave, Joyce Cathy asked her if she could describe what Gordy looked like around the time when he died. I suppose he was quite old by then, she said, with a full head of white hair. But he was always smartly dressed, in a nice dark suit. That evening, Joyce Cathy told Lisa and Andy about her conversation with Catherine, wondering if there was any way that Heidi could have overheard or seen something about Mr Gordy but neither could think of anything. Perhaps it was all just a coincidence, they thought. Unable to let it go, however, the following day, Lisa made her way to the local library and requested to see the papers from 1974. Sitting in front of the monitor moments later, she scrolled through the microfilm until she came across the man's obituary. Sure enough, there it was. James Scarborough Gordy caretaker of a number of local properties who died aged 86 in September 1974. Back home later as Heidi was sat playing with her dolls Lisa asked her again about where she had got the name Gordy from. Heidi ignored her for a moment as she continued to play then without looking up said simply that he had told it to her himself. But Mr Gordy isn't real, explained her mother. Heidi stopped playing. But he is real, she insisted. He's standing right next to you. Eager to get to the bottom of it all, and now increasingly more spooked by the day, Lisa, hatched a plan. After explaining to Catherine Ledford what had been going on, they arranged for Heidi to go to Catherine's home and take a look at some old family photographs to see if she might recognise anyone. One by one, they flicked through the old black and white stills, stepping back years into the life of Catherine and her family. Arriving at the last few, Heidi's eyes suddenly widened. There, she said, pointing to a young man standing at the back of the frame with a bandage wrapped all around his hand. That's Con, the man with the blood on his shirt. Lisa looked expectantly to Catherine, who couldn't believe what she was hearing. Well, she said, taking the photo for a closer look, that there is my uncle. Not Con, exactly, but Lon. Lon Bachelor. Lon had been dead since 1957, as she went on to explain. And back when he was 20 years old, he lost his hand in a cotton gin accident. Lisa gasped. That's him, she said to Catherine. That's one of the people she's been seeing. Heading back to their home, Lisa was now convinced that this was more than just a game of make-believe. But worse than that, she thought, what if something sinister was at play? After the visit to Catherine, Lisa and Andy stayed up late discussing the permutations of what could possibly be taking place when that scream rang out again from Heidi's room. Moments later, the door burst open and Heidi raced onto the bed. She'd seen the faceless figure again, and now her face was hurting. Lisa switched on the light and cried out in shock. There, raked across her daughter's cheek, were three deep and bloody scratch marks. Having seen enough, the family gathered some things and drove immediately to Lisa's parents' house to spend the rest of the night. The following day, the family returned to their home, determined to confront their fears. Whatever they were dealing with, there was no use in panicking, and they certainly weren't free to move any time soon. They would just have to wait it out and hope that things improved. A few nights later, as the family slept, Andy tossed and turned in his sleep. Suddenly bursting awake, after a moment of confusion he realised he was just having a nightmare. But then, he felt the searing pain running up his side. Rushing to the bathroom, he switched on the light and pulled up his T-shirt. Turning his side toward the mirror, he gasped in horror at the sight of three fresh gashes up the side of his body. There was no denying it anymore. It was time to seek proper help. Unsure where to start, Lisa tried the library again, where it was suggested to her that she contact Dr. William Roll, a psychologist based at the University of West Georgia. Dr. Roll also happened to be one of the country's leading authorities on apparent parapsychological phenomena. Growing up in Denmark, Roll, who was born in Germany in 1926, became convinced he was having regular out-of-body experiences. This awakened an interest in parapsychology that took him first to Berkeley and later to Oxford University, where he became president of the university's Society of Psychical Research. Back when the study of parapsychology was still indulged by many leading academic institutions, Dr. Rohl was a leading proponent of the subject. Though Roald kept an open mind with regards to the causes of paranormal phenomena, it was his ultimate belief that if there was anything of substance to them, they would prove to be of a rational, scientific nature, as opposed to supernatural. The Weyrich's case, however, was unlike anything he had come across before. After arriving at the Wyricks' home one afternoon, the erudite role began by conducting a series of interviews with the family to ascertain the veracity of their story. Listening to Heidi speaking in particular, he was struck by the consistency and level of detail in her recollections. Furthermore, the manner in which she spoke about the various figures she had encountered seemed to suggest that she had no concept of them being apparitions or ghosts at all, but rather they were as real to her as anything else in her life. Afterwards, Dr. Roll had a surprise for the family. He had managed to track down a photograph of the deceased James Gordy and asked Lisa if he might present it to Heidi to see if she might recognize who it was. Eager to see the results herself Lisa gladly let him proceed. Taking the pictures from his bag, he placed them on the table and asked Heidi to pick them up one by one and to take her time to study each of them before moving on to the next. Each photograph bore a portrait of a man in similar age and appearance to Gordy. Heidi picked up the first photo, gave it a long look and then moved it to the side. She repeated this process for the first nine pictures, until finally she came to the last one. That's him, she said. That's Mr Gordy. Dr Roll turned the photo around and picked it up. It was the photograph of James Gordy. Staggered by Heidi's story and the correct identification of James Gordy, Dr. Rohl began immediately to try and understand what was taking place. Since he didn't believe it was possible to interact with conscious apparitions of the now deceased, he theorised that unusual electromagnetic fluctuations in the area could be causing audio and visual hallucinations in Heidi's mind. After conducting a number of tests on the property, however, though Dr. Roll found some anomalous readings, he found little to confirm his hypothesis. A few years later, Lisa and Andy welcomed a second child, Jordan, into their family. The pair had been worried about the effect of the hauntings on their baby. However, thankfully by then, though Heidi continued to claim that she saw apparitions in the house, their frequency and number had significantly declined over the years. By the time she was a teenager, all trace of Mr Gordy had gone completely. Some years after Jordan was born, Lisa's niece, Kelly Brown, was looking after her in the house alone when she heard the sound of someone's voice coming from a back bedroom. Moving through to the end of the corridor, She found Jordan sitting on her own, seemingly deep in conversation with someone. Only there was nobody else there. Who are you talking to? asked Kelly Brown. The little girl, said Jordan. She was hurt really bad in a car accident. But Jordan, said Kelly Brown, there's nobody here. Yes, there is, she said. She's standing right next to you. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, And feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T E L A D O C dot com slash unexplained podcast.
0: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Hardin Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday.